This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Hi, and welcome to Militantly Mixed, a podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine, and you are listening to my Just Woke Up voice, which I can't tell if it doesn't sound exactly like my regular everyday voice, but I was really tired last night. I went to bed hella early, uh, like 8.30, 9 o'clock or something like that, and so as a result, I'm awake hella early for work today. Um, I thought I'd take this opportunity to go ahead and record my intro for this week uh, since the house is quiet, and I got a few announcements to make. I think I've mentioned it a little bit. I've been mentioning it before that I I have been doing this podcast thing full-time for the last few months or the entire time of doing these shows and was hoping to, to be able to transition this into a full-time thing forever but you know we're early days we're still we're still only four months in and uh it takes a while for you to generate the kind of audience and and stuff so that you can survive on this life full-time so mama had to go back to work and I started a new job uh not last week but the week before still kind of getting used to the new the new gig and the new schedule that's been the big adjustment because I've been I used to go to bed at like three o'clock in the morning now I go to bed at 11 or 10 uh, 12 and um so I'm still in my adjustment mode but so far I haven't failed on getting a show out on time which is good I think the latest I've been is about a half an hour late um so I feel pretty good about that but next week I am going to take a bit of a hiatus not related to the job necessarily but I, I have an opportunity to give a presentation on intersectional identity at Sierra College in Rockland California next week I'm really excited about it. Uh, This is for the Spectrum Pride event put on by Sierra College. And I was given the opportunity through someone who's actually a friend of mine, Professor Johnny Terry. He uh, was my then high school best friend, now husband's first philosophy teacher and completely changed the direction of my husband's life. Uh, He used to be a fairly bad student, not very focused, didn't care, didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. He took Johnny Terry's uh, philosophy class, I think Philosophy 101 or Logic. Actually, it was his logic class, and that totally changed the direction. Now my husband is a logician and a professor of philosophy and things like that, so that's how he and my husband got close. Simultaneously, though, Johnny and I developed a friendship because I was his technical director for distance learning classes. I was the person behind the booth uh, switching cameras and zooming in and things like that to make sure that the distance learning class uh, got on cable on time. And so we had sort of this like Wizard of Oz voice in the booth relationship and we became friends that way, which was just a coincidence. I think the timing was about the same time. So over the many years, we got really close and Johnny Terry actually was the person who married us. He did he did our ceremony for us and we've remained friends all these years. And he offered this opportunity for me to come out to the college and give an, a presentation on identity as intersectional, the mixed race, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist woman's perspective. Um, I'm excited about it. I am a little nervous because this is the first time I'll be giving a presentation presentation about something I'm personally passionate about. Uh, So I hope it goes well. And as a result, I'm shutting all operations down this week so that I can focus and and put together the the best presentation that I possibly can first time out the gate. So I do have some of the the shows are going live next week, but Militantly Mix is going to take a a one-week break. And when we come back, we are changing days of the week that we're airing. And that is because uh, Militantly Mix, the Black as Fuck edition, which normally airs on Tuesday is also making a change. There's a lot of changes going on in the main hustle media situation right now. So Militantly Makes the Black as Fuck edition normally airs on Tuesday and Blurred Vision and I also record on Tuesdays. So we're getting an episode a week later every week and that show doesn't generate as much of a listenership as Black Radical Queer or Militantly Mixed does and I think it's because 
because lately we've been getting more and more depressed about our subject matter. And on that show, we talk about blackness from the mixed black perspective, but inevitably it ends up being a show about what's going on in politics and the news today as it affects black people. And I have noticed that I've been kind of getting less mind. It's 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 heavier every time we do the show and uh, it takes me a while to kind of recover afterwards, which sounds kind of like hashtag half white girl problems. But um, it's hard to have my entire focus, like basically the last four or five months of my life has been almost entirely focused on race in some way, shape or form. And I never thought I would say this, but that has gotten a little difficult. And blurred vision of my friendship actually stems from this love of all kinds of things, uh, geekdom, comic books, movies, stuff like that. Um, when we when we message each other, it's usually about something in comic book news or whatever. Uh, his name is Blurred Vision. I, you know, I, I talk about my geekery here and there as I can on the show when it when it fits. But we did an episode a couple weeks ago about uh, Venom, about the movie, and we came away from that episode feeling so much lighter and so much more excited that and we had been talking about doing for a long time we'd been talking about doing a blurred comics uh, themed podcast as well but we didn't want to overwhelm ourselves with too many things and and so now it just seems to be the natural time a natural progression for us we almost always end up dipping into some talk about comics anyway so we might as well just make it a part of the show because it's something that we really love talking about especially together as well so effective this week we're doing the announcement um it actually aired just today uh, militantly makes a black fuck edition is making the announcement that we're switching over to blurred comics and we're still going to talk about blackness and political issues and things like that we're still going to talk about things from our mixed race perspective because that is our lens and we can't avoid that but we're just going to have a heavier portion of the show will now be about geekery in general and so next week, though, that show is going, Blurred Comics is going to flip to Thursdays. And the following week, Militantly Mix will go to Tuesdays. You don't have to do anything different. If you are subscribed, you're just going to see the show pop up when it pops up, as usual. But that's what's going to happen. So I'm going to take a week off for, for Militantly Mixed next week. And we're going to come back on November 13th on Tuesday as Militantly Mixed. Black Radical Queer doesn't change. Black Radical Queer still airs every Wednesdays. And uh, Thursday the 8th will be the first episode of Blurred Comics. So those are some of our big announcements for Main Hustle Media. So yeah, things are looking good on the Militantly Mixed side. Um, let's go into the business of having the podcast. As y'all know, we are a fan-sponsored podcast. And with your support, it really does help keep us going and growing. Our current sponsorship does help us with our hosting fees for the show. But our next step is to start to look into improving our quality. Um, I've definitely been having some sound issues uh, lately because of new residents in my apartment complex, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm going to be building some savings up to to kind of soundproof my little area. And um, over time, hopefully, as we gain more audience and more listenership and more sponsorship, uh, I'll be able to also hire an engineer um, to improve the editing of the show versus my... I think I'm doing fine. I think I'm doing fine for my, my level. It's, it's not too different from video editing from back when I used to make movies and things like that. So, uh, But it would always be nice to improve and get, uh, get a professional doing this thing. So that's my... Those are my next steps if we do gain enough sponsorship for that kind of stuff. If you do want to sponsor the show, you can go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed and sponsor us as low as a dollar a month to as high as anything you wish. There are different reward levels depending on what you choose to sponsor us at. And I am sampling some new swag. It hasn't gotten here yet, but um, I'm hoping to uh, find a few new things to add to our rewards things to entice you to support us. You know, for us, it's a labor of love. Any of us that do podcasting, it's a labor of love you don't do it necessarily because you want to make a whole bunch of money because unless you're like my favorite murder or um cereal or whatever you're probably not making a lot of money doing this it would be nice to be able to make a living just a general living off of it but you know we get to talk about something that we're passionate about and sometimes we get to talk with people that are also as passionate about these topics as as we are so yeah sponsorship helps us keep going it's that's what it is it's 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 keeping <laughs> uh it's kind of keeping things on a less corporate and more personal level 
level, I think. I sponsor a couple of shows that, that give me life. And so, yeah, that's why we that's why we pitch this every week. I know it does kind of sound, you know, a little beggy or whatever, but it, it really does help. The, for me, knowing that Militantly makes hosting fees are covered every, every month is one less thing of stress that I have to worry about so that I can just produce the show that makes me happy and hopefully it makes you happy as well. If you don't wish to do a monthly sponsorship, you can also get drop us some change on paypal.me slash militantlymix. Um, either way is extremely helpful. And it just, you know, it also serves to let us know that we're doing we're doing something that you guys uh, want or need out there. And don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. And you can email me at Charmaine at militantlymix.com. S is in Sam, H-A-R-M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E, at militantlymix.com. And I think that's it. Now we can go into talking about the show. My guest this week is Caitlin Borsowitz. She is awesome. Um, she emailed me about a month before I noticed it. It actually went into my junk file. So as a result, it has taught me to check out my junk file. And she had been affected by the episode with Marie, the half Filipino, half white comedian that is um, my the first person in real life that I was friends with that I ended up putting on the show. And she was affected by her episode. And she reached out to say that she was like crying on her way to work because she was so touched by it. And so I tried to grab her for the show. We got on Skype and had our first sort of discussion and we hit it off really quickly to she's great to talk to. I, I, I absolutely enjoyed this discussion. She is the co-creator of the Melanin Collective, which is a organization that does professional development and enrichment events for women of color, primarily in D.C. That's where they're based out of. But they have done tra- some travel events. They did have a, an event out here in Los Angeles. Angeles in early October. Uh, I wasn't able to go to that, but if they do come out here again, I do hope to do that. So this is, and this is born out of women of color getting together after work one day and realizing they were all struggling with the same oppression at work. And from that, this wonderful thing was created. Uh, we also talk about Caitlin's life herself. She's a mixed race Filipino and Caucasian woman. And what triggered her emailing me was about an event she had recently experienced in which she was told to stay in her white lane, which was very confusing for me when I saw her for the first time because she does not appear white. She's not white passing in any way, shape or form. But because of her white last name, she was disregarded as a person of color. And this is a common theme that has happened in her life. She mentions a a time in college that this also happens. So it was kind of crazy to hear her story when we talked before we recorded. And I just knew she was she was perfect for getting on this show. She describes her knowledge or her identity as a mixed race person as a blob growing up. She didn't have it was she and and she didn't really know what she was. She was an undefined thing. And so she refers to herself as the mixed blob, which I think is awesome way of describing it. When you don't really have a a real shape to your identity, you know, something like that makes sense. And it's something, it's a name that she can own without feeling like it is uh, degrading in any way, shape or form, not really having a clear understanding of her identity when she was younger. So yeah, it's great. I can't wait to share it with you. I've been talking for 17 minutes. So let's go ahead and move on to this episode of Militantly Mixed with Caitlin Borsowitz. And I do hope I'm still saying that right. I I wrote myself a key, but it's a tough name for me to pronounce. Uh, This is The Mixed Blob. Thank you, Caitlin, for joining me on Militantly Mix. I'm excited to get a chance to talk to you again. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your yourself, your ethnic origin and kind of upbringing origin story, and then we'll get into the Melanin Collective. That's it. Yeah. Melanin Collective. I was you about to say collection. <laughs> Caitlin Bor- Borsowitz. What? One out of two. One out of two. There you go. So yeah, let's get, <laughs> let's get going. So thank you, Caitlin, for joining yeah. me today. Let's get into it. Let's talk about it. Sure. Um, so 
I was honestly thinking a while about how I was going to describe myself because like on all of your episodes, I hear like people's stories and they all like really make sense to me. But I was like, I don't even know what my story is. I think when we first talked, I remember telling you that I like, especially like, I think even recently, you know, I've kind of described myself as more of like a blob. Like, you know, my mom's <laughs> from the Philippines. My dad's from California. I know he's a white guy, but like moving through my existence, I've always kind of felt very like unaware but unaware of who I am. So it's just like kind of recently that, you know, my identity, like especially my mixed race identity has been more at the forefront. Right. Um, And we can talk about like a couple of instances or whatever. So yeah, I mean, you know, a blob isn't really like the best word to describe it, but I just feel like, you know, I'm in that like kind of messy stage where I'm exploring like my mashedness. Right. Um, And, you know, again, like there are a a couple of things that have kind of led me to where I am today. But what I love about like what you're doing here is that, you know, you're giving people like me a space to kind of like interrogate that. So um, although I don't really have like a straightforward answer for you, um, (laughs) I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. (laughs) No, I think a blob kind of works because I mean, when I was growing up, the popular thing was to call us mutts and Heinz 57 and stupid crap like that half breeds, Mm -hmm. which I know you still hear every now and then, but it it, it didn't it, it sort of those type of terms sort of took away your ability to define who you are like they mm-hmm. they got to tell us what they thought of you and like something like mutt in, implies non-planned breeding <laughs> in some kind of way like you know dirty yeah, yeah like it's just it doesn't seem right so so saying something like a blob you know it's undefined it's it's you know you're shapeless you're trying to figure out what it is and that makes sense I don't see why anything yeah. like works for us I mean that's us. exactly I mean I wasn't I, I didn't like phrase it in my head like you just did right now but I am taking that like you know (laughs) there are so many people who are telling me like what I can and what I can't be but like I'm just gonna like shut them out and say like I'm like forming my own identity right in a sense like I've been doing a lot of reading on I can't remember the author's name but she does a lot of like scholarship on multiracial identity and she basically outlines like three theories about how multiracial people kind of like mold their own identity and the last one is kind of like more about being like you're pulling from I mean I guess this kind of makes sense but you're pulling from like your life experiences rather than just like solely on like your race I guess so they're kind of making their own like multiracial identity rather than like I'm a Filipino American, but I have a white last name. So it's like, right. Are you or are you not? So I don't know. <laughs> you know, I think it's it's a crazy thing being mixed and talking to other mixed people that are at different stages of where they are in their identity and, and how fluid even that is. Like for mm-hmm. me, I tend to be I tend to think of myself as very comfortable in my mixed race skin. You know, I'm out here like even my social media little blurb bios are like I'm black Japanese, you know, like, you know, I'm just like uh-huh. all this kind of stuff but then every now and then if my blackness isn't seen now I'm in a crisis again and I have to sit there and be like well what is it about me that wasn't presenting black enough in that moment because and as I've talked about on the show before I have this sort of hierarchical view of my ethnicity which had or, or my mixed race status through ethnicity slash culture so mm-hmm. I'm quarter black but I'm culturally black so that's at the top I'm you know quarter Japanese I'm kind of culturally Japanese so that's next and then I'm half white and I don't know those people, you know, <laughs> like, so I can't identify and therefore it's just a part of me that I don't know much about. So I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting to talk to fully formed adult people living their life and still going, but what the hell am I sometimes, you know? Right. And like you, the basic question. Yeah, you and it can change given your environment. I mean, we're code switch ninjas from early on as we're trying to figure out who we are as our identity. And if we're with, you know, in your case, if you're probably with Filipino people, you're one mm-hmm. way. If you're around white people, then you're aware of your brownness, you know. And much more quiet, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think that used to happen to me, too, because I didn't grow up around a whole lot of white people. So once I became an adult and started working in corporate environments and there was more white people there than non-white people... I early on, I was quiet trying to figure out what I was allowed to present as or if if I was even allowed to talk about race in the workplace, you know, things like that. So it's a it's an interesting thing that we're dealing with even as adults trying to figure out who we are. But you and I connected through you sent an email because you were affected by another episode. But one of the things you sent in your email that hit me was that you were kind of being accused of being white passing and you were told to stay in your white lane over something. 
thing. <laughs> and so I was ready to talk to you off of that because I like, let's get into that kind of thing. But then mm-hmm. you and I got on Skype and I saw you on video. And my very first reaction to you was, you're accused of white passing <laughs> <laughs> because I thought I had the wrong notes for the wrong person. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how unprofessional of me. I have the wrong person scheduled. <laughs> and I'm looking at this brown woman who's trying to tell me that someone called her white. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, what has happened to you throughout your mixedness where you've had to sort of feel white or be accused of whiteness when you don't necessarily present that way? Yeah, it's a really weird thing for me. And I've been kind of like reflecting on it a lot more and, you know, going back to like things that happened in my childhood and, you know, just kind of be, just kind of being like straight out there. So I've dealt with a lot of like mental health issues growing up, like as early as like when I was in fifth grade, I mean, like really bad, like depression, just not. And, and, and at that time, or even like up to like January, 2018, like I didn't really know what that was about, but I've done a lot more mm. kind of like research on, you know, my identity kind of stemming from situations like this. And, you know, one of the things that I keep on hearing and reading is that, you know, mixed people, they um, suffer a lot of mental illnesses because of their, you know, sense of like place that I guess, um, placelessness or sense of like loss that they don't really know who they are. So like growing up, you know, um, and, and, and just like, as a side note, like it was so validating to hear you say that, that like, oh my God, like you're not white passing because like (laughs) for my whole life, I mean, I've, you know, my dad is white and I benefit from kind of like, know, the privileges that come up with being in like a middle-class neighborhood. I went to a private Catholic school, which I hated, (laughs) but it's just like, I was surrounded by white people and for some reason, like I could never, ever, ever fit in. And it was just really confusing. Like growing up, I never had like a friend group, um, even throughout like high school. Like I just didn't know like where I belonged, but I Mm. did know that like whenever Saturdays came around and it was time to like hang out with like my mom's side of the family, like I was just like, these are my people, right? Right. Like this is food. Like this is the, like my aunt knows, like, you know, she, she passed away a couple years ago, but she always knew like what to make. Um, (laughs) Like these are the cousins that I've like known since, you know, we were like four or five years old. Like this is just like my collective. And, you know, although I never like really knew how to identify, I knew that I had a home with those people. So, you know, that kind of really informed my kind of worldview. So I guess, you know, hearing things kind of like, oh, you need to stay in your white lane was just like, but I like my white lane is just like, it's just full of trauma. And like, I don't want to be there. Like, you know, I love my dad and I love my, you know, my aunts um, from his side of the family, but it's just like, I don't feel like I belong there. Um, So I I think on a very like visceral level, hearing those, those types of things are just, you know, really hurtful, especially when they happen online. And it's just like, you know, you don't know who you're talking about. Like, you know, yeah, we kind of mentioned, um, like you were saying, you know, like this person has no idea what you even look like. They're just going off like maybe your last name or whatever. And, you know, I, I think that there's like a tendency to get like really defensive when it comes to identity, but mm-hmm. I'm just kind of in the stage in my own, like seeking, like trying to figure out who I am. Like I'm going to give like another person the chance to explain themselves, I guess, because I have no idea where they are like tr- in, in trying to form right. their own kind of worldview. So I don't know. I guess that's kind of like where I'm at. Being told something like that too. And I've had probably versions of that before, like basically saying, you know, I know you think you're black or whatever, but you're only a quarter or you're light skin or whatever. I've had versions of that. And, and when it comes to you from people of color, it's almost like 10 times as hurtful mm-hmm. as when it comes to you from white, because you kind of, when it comes to you from white, you're kind of like, yeah, duh, this is going to happen. You expect yeah. that. Whether or not that's fair, it's just the case. And when it comes from a person of color, you're you're trying to figure out are they saying that no matter what I'm talking about their plight is way worse than mine because they're more established or grounded in a, in a monoracial whatever they are <laughs> or am I entirely disregarded because I'm pale uh, do they think that I don't suffer too you know all kinds of things or do they think that I can just flip a switch and easily become white if I wanted to become mm-hmm. white which is not the case
case. It has never been the case of any mixed race person I know that looks even remotely yellow or brown like we do. <laughs> yeah. uh, that we're yeah. going to be viewed as white. Because in a in a room full of white people, I'm looking at you. I'm not going to see you as a white person. I'm going to be like, oh, there's another person of color in the room. I'm going to go sit next to that person. <laughs> yeah. um, it doesn't matter what you are. It's just that you are at least something closer to me than a room exactly. full of white people. So yeah, it's like way more hurtful for a person of color to hit you with one of those things because you feel like you want to feel like we're somewhat on the same team and, mm-hmm. and you usually are but then there's these times when you're not and it's just like uh, you don't I don't even know how to even as a 40 year old I don't know how to process moments like that yeah uh, sucks. It just sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I think one of the things that like, I used to be really like upset about it, but now I get kind of angry, but then I try to tone back my anger and like try to understand like the context of it. But another thing like I was uh, reading again was <laughs> kind of like this sense of multiracial people being like, well, so I guess like the multi, the discrimination that multiracial people experience is like a subset of discrimination. So it's like something that's less than. And like when, when reading that, I was like, you know, that's, it feels like that sometimes. Yeah. It's like I have to not only experience like the discrimination and like trauma, but then I have to like convince people that like, yeah, what I'm going through is real just because I'm like a multiracial person. Um, mm. So there's that kind of, uh, you know, other side of it that I get really like annoyed by, but I'm trying to like just be my, be my best self, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, also too, like I, I remember there being moments in my early, like early adulthood where I felt like I had to be like, oh yeah, I suffered discrimination too. Oh, not as bad as you, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as sort of this, you know, diet Coke version of being a person of color that, mm-hmm. you know, we couldn't, we don't, couldn't possibly get the same thing. And I've talked about on the show too, different moments where I know that my light skin has given me a privilege that maybe my darker skin friends didn't get and that you know I'm that I'm not okay with that and that makes me very uncomfortable but that it has happened you know I do understand that that kind of stuff happens but it doesn't lessen the pain you know I mean it's it's also like saying to a person who um, was held down and almost about to be raped but then something broke it up that they didn't suffer any trauma because they weren't actually raped they were still held down they were still held against their will they still suffered like Dr. Ford that we were you know we're talking about the news right now you know she still suffered assault it just wasn't maybe the follow-through assault that everybody you know is kind of claiming why is it a big deal same thing with uh, racial discrimination as a mixed race person I'm still experiencing trauma you're still experiencing trauma we're being passed over for jobs we're being looked you know passed or disregarded uh, for uh, certain levels of intelligence because Mm -hmm. we're women and we're people of color and things like that so we're still suffering I, I don't think it's a measurable thing you know I don't think we could really compare suffering Mm -hmm. versus suffering. I think everything, people deal with trauma in a lot of different ways. And those of us who do suffer from different mental health issues, you know, like myself as well, I'm going to say that, you know, this thing that's put me into my major depression mode right now or whatever may not in the grand scheme of the world seem like the most tragic thing, but it was the thing that triggered me going into that. And, and therefore it was a really dark thing for me. It, Mm -hmm. someone else might've been able to handle the situation totally different, but then something, you know, different bad would happen to them and it would send them in that same space. So I think, I think we're, we're disregarding people's level of acceptable trauma, depending on the color of your skin or your gender or whatever. Yeah. the thing is and and I mean obviously it's not fair but we don't know we like we wouldn't even begin to know how to fix that in terms of people the culture and the people's thinking mm-hmm. um, so going through this you know grow, growing up and and sort of never having a friend base of like a core group of people of color maybe or maybe other mixed race kids or something like that when do you feel like you're finally getting to like in your life when do you feel like you're finally starting to understand your mixedness or or even not understand it maybe even just identify that it's a thing that you you have to feel <laughs> like like feeling so, so do you mean like um how do i like and i guess like project my mixedness in terms of like the people i choose to hang out with or uh, like, yeah i mean i guess so i was thinking of in terms of like for me i wasn't aware that i was mixed race until way later yeah. but i knew that my parents weren't the same colors 
you know, but I didn't think anything weird of that because none of my cousin's parents were the same color. So everybody yeah. in my family was mixed and therefore I didn't have a mixed identity. I, that was just what was the thing. It mm-hmm. wasn't until I started being around other people who didn't have mixed race families that it started to be obvious that there was something different about us. And then, yeah. of course, my first experience with racism is the thing that finally informs me that I'm different. And so now I know that I'm mixed race and, mm-hmm. and I have to learn what that means. That hits me in third grade. So in your case, like not being growing up around like white people, Catholic, whatever, when do you get to that point where you're like, oh, it's not just that I'm different. Yeah. It's just that I now know what my difference is. I feel like there's, I'm sure that there's a lot of things that went on in my childhood that I could kind of attribute to that. Like, you know, I just, you know, this one thing I always remember just like most vividly was this teacher. She was my seventh grade teacher, Mrs. Martin, and she just didn't like me for some reason. So kind of in the Catholic school setting, like, oh, actually, I don't even know if this is true for like public school, but she was kind of like the one teacher that we had, like there'd be like specialty teachers, right? But like, she was the one that we were always kind of with. But I just remember like, she never like took to me, right? Mm. And, you know, I was like a really quiet kid. So I really don't know like what that could have been about. But I just remember one time we were lining up to go to, to church and I was like late for, um, a doctor's appointment, I think. And so I was coming back and I wasn't sure what was going on. And she like points at me, like looks at me like, are you stupid? Like, are Mm. you stupid? Like get in line. And I think like, as I'm talking about it, like the dots for me is like that social capital, right? Mm. Like white people are able to kind of build on their social capital together to be able to like understand situations, right? But at that time, I was like, I don't even know how to operate within this setting where there are people who don't look like me, people who don't, you know, have the experiences that I do. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess there's there's just like a lot of confusion on my end on how to be a person in this space. So like for me in, 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 in that situation, it was just like, I don't have the cultural, I don't have the social capital to like connect with you or like to be even seen like worthy in your eyes. Mm. So that was like one thing that happened. Um, but that's like a little bit more like vague for me, I guess. Um, in college, like I was telling you on our first call when I was in a history class and it was the only D I'd ever gotten in college. (laughs) And I'm going to blame it on this. Um, (laughs) not, not, not the 11 classes I skipped, but uh, so a professor was handing back papers one time and, um, like the first couple of weeks of class. So we didn't really know people's names yet. Um, but he called me up and when he called my name and I like rose up and walked over him to get it, he was like, uh, are you sure this is you? I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> me. Like, okay. So it was just like bizarre. Right. Because like, I just heard you say like, syllables. So I stood up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. I'm just like, whatever random name like hi Matthew okay like that's me I mean right but it's just like that disconnect like no this didn't happen to anyone else but me and Mm. I think I like dug it down into like my subconscious and never really thought about it until like recently but I mean like there was something about me right that made him react that way so it's just like kind of situations or instances like that that have really like stood out to me and I'm kind of like now just piecing them together in this like puzzle Mm. um but yeah it's just a I feel like I'm really seen my soul to you right now (laughs) it's like very cleansing (laughs) that's what I that's what I talk about about the surprise that what I didn't expect to happen like I just wanted to talk about being mixed all the time and when I talked to my very first person we ended up just like having what felt like a therapy session it was like oh that happens to you too oh but what about this and by the end of it I felt so much lighter and I I, like I remember I I said goodbye and I hung up and I walked into the other room where my husband was like chilling in the bedroom waiting for me to be done and I was like half like half emotional and half kind of spaced out Mm -hmm. and and he he goes what's going on And, and I said I think I just like had the most breakthrough therapeutic session like of my life like I didn't know like I knew what I wanted to do with the show I knew I wanted to talk about mixed race what I didn't know was that I needed to talk to other people like me who have this weird ass identity issue you know where you think you're fine most of the time and then suddenly you're like oh wait I'm so different this person can't even comprehend how to speak to me Mm -hmm. you know 
like I'm normal, you know, the, this whole thing. And it was so touching. And so I was like, oh, it's basically it reshaped everything. It went from just like, you know, we're just going to talk about something mixed today to let's talk about your mixed race experience mm-hmm. and what that means for you and, and how you process your mixedness and how me hearing about your stuff is going to inform the way I approach the show, but also the way I approach my own identity. And from it, I feel like, I mean, I've always been a very vocal person in terms of my mixedness, but now there's no moment that passes that I can't find a way to put it through my mixed race lens and be like, you know, and it's every and because I'm doing it every week because I get to talk to, you know, in some cases, multiple people in a week. It's just like there's just new knowledge every day. Like it's just new every day. And it means it's so amazing for me. I I'm I'm grateful to everything, everybody that has shared anything with me. And I I feel so bad when people go, well, I don't think my story is that interesting, but, you know, I'm really interested in your show. So I'm going to share with you. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, you like every every part of this is so interesting Mm -hmm. to me as a mixed race person, but I hope to other people as well, because it's just like some, I don't know, some of the things that people say just shock, like even being mixed. Exactly. I mean, I was like, like in in my letter to you, I was like, I was crying on the way to work. Like uh, Marie, right? I mean, she probably Mm -hmm. didn't even think her story was that interesting, but I'm like, oh my God, like, like so emotional. So yeah, I love it. I I did send her a message too (laughs) afterwards where I was like, dude, someone else was affected, you know, like someone else was affected by you. And they're like, what? You know, she's like, oh, shut up. Everybody's is. And that's the thing that really gets me. I have a few of the discussions I've had before with people that uh, I'm not sure until it's out how people are going to receive, like what people are going to think about it. I don't know. It's just it's really weird, really therapeutic. And more than anything, it's just that now I know that there's places in almost any place that I can travel now where I might get a chance of meeting some of these folks in real life and be like, hi, Mixty, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> like, all right. So when we when we did talk previously, you, you and I talked about sort of your corporate life and how that has informed what you got going on now, what you're doing now with uh, Melanin Collective. And there's something you did. I don't know if you did this, on if you did it on purpose or if you noticed you did it but when you were talking about your family and being around uh, you know your weekend Filipino uh-huh. family you said these are my people these are my collective and so I wrote it down uh-huh. and so I don't know if that's the if that informs the name of the melanin collective or if that's just accidentally how you view people that are like you yeah well so I can't take credit for the name my co-founder actually made the name but sure I'm internalizing that take as well that's part of my that's part of my narrative now <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's, I mean, really, it's so true. Um, kind of like the resulting, I guess, feelings I have from what kind of went on and like what led to this like beautiful social enterprise. Um, so basically, uh, in 2005, it was my second job out of college. I had the opportunity to work for this reproductive health nonprofit um, on paper you know, everything just like checked out. It had like everything I needed to be like this dream job. Like I loved the work that I was doing. It was meaningful. I was learning new things. I loved the team I was working for. And my um, immediate supervisor was just like this angel sent from heaven. Like I love her. Um, So it was just, it had everything that I needed to be successful. Right. But, you know, even within the first couple of months, um, I noticed like some problematic behaviors directed towards one black woman. Um, and at the time, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're new in this world and you really want to make like a lasting impression and you don't want anyone to like put, put their eyes on you because you also have to like pay for the bills. So although I feel like (laughs) guilt about this, you know, not speaking up, it's just, I don't feel like I was in the position to do so. So, you know, like what I did was just like, you know, that's an individual problem. Like maybe she is just a really terrible worker. So I kind of like put my head down and just kind of like rambled through my days, like feeling kind of like queasy and sick about it. But you know, it's just like, it's not me. Like I got to survive. So all of that really changed kind of uh, about a year into my job there. Um, My supervisor decided to leave. Um, And when she left, that was kind of like the floodgates were open, right? Like I did not realize how much crazy she had been holding back. Like she literally had to coach the executive director and the development director. Like you can't say this during like a staff meeting. Like you can't phrase things like this. Like that's not 
appropriate to say. And like just their blatantly racist, like bigoted, sexist behavior was just like, Mm. it was insane how unafraid they were at being who they are. Like it was just, it was just really crazy. And like kind of the, the the icing on top was that I became kind of the punching bag for a lot of their uh, behaviors after my supervisor left. Like Mm. I was blamed for things that, you know, I had like no control over or they weren't even in like my wheelhouse, right? Like things that I, you know, didn't know how to do or were above my pay grade. You know, I was like publicly humiliated in like staff meetings on several occasions. Um, And all the while, like this white woman who I'm working with kind of like in the same level, I'm literally doing her work, like fixing her mistakes and she gets promoted. Mm. And all of this kind of leads to me being put on probation. Um, So again, like the like injustice behind like me doing like this white woman's work and she's succeeding and you put on probation for literally like I shit you not. They say that I'm working too hard. So we're going to put you on probation. What? Um, Yeah. So that was just like, you know, and at the time I started to like lose my like lose my chill. And, you know, I was like pushing back against things. You know, I tried to set up boundaries um, with the toxic people. But I think, you know, me just even attempting to stand up for myself was like even more fuel for them to kind of abuse me. Right. Um, so, you know, I felt really alone at the time. Um, but that's also when I met my co-founder Doris. And of course there's also like, you know, the, the education team was this like made up of like fabulous women of color. And just like on a happenstance, we all decide to get, you know, drinks one, one day after work. And we kind of all like realize that like, wait, like this is not just an isolated case, right? Like this is not just you being a quote, bad quote, like employee, you know, this is something that the executive director is like systematically, like purposefully doing um, to like exploit our labor, push us out. And then like he remains the hero while we feel like, you know, we're terrible people. Mm. So I think knowing that I had found this community of like women of color who also could report similar experiences as me, you know, we go back to that like family, like I found my family in a pile of shit. Literally, (laughs) I mean, I mean, I think one of like the most incredible things is that, you know, kind of speaking from my mixed raceness is that, you know, we talk about we were talking about, you know, the, the periods in our lives when we realize that there's, you know, we are mixed, that there is something different about us. And that was definitely one of them. Like, I did not understand why this was happening to me, honestly, because I had moved. So I'd moved like a blob, right? I'd moved like a massless blob in my life, not knowing where I fit in. And every, I guess, I don't want to use like the word oppression lightly, but every like instance of trauma I felt, I just thought it was due to some kind of like lacking on my own end. I was like, this is my fault. This is happening to me. Mm. Not the fact that this guy is like, a raging racist. Um, so I think that was just one of the most incredible things that had come from that. And Doris and I um, kind of separately started to meet and, you know, she expressed to me in one of our, you know, happy hours that she's like, you know what, I wish that there was a place, you know, a space where women of color could really like just get together, air out our grievances and find community in the fact that like we are not alone in this experience, but then also like come up with practice, practical solutions to really combat the everyday bullshit that we face, right? Because right? I think, um, so I'm from DC and there are a lot of like professional like networking opportunities, like trainings and workshops, but they're all very tailored to like the working upper middle class white woman. Mm-hmm. And that experience just does not resonate with me. Like people could tell me that, you know, yeah, you're like white passing or whatever, but that's not my experience. Yeah. <laughs> used to claim that as my experience. Um, so through like those kind of like working happy hours and brunches, we decided kind of to build something from it. So that's kind of where the Melanin Collective was born, like from this trauma. And that's one of the reasons I love it so much is because, you know, we all individually and as a group experienced some pretty bad things at, at this organization. But Doris and I were able to like pull something up and make it and make it into something that is really impactful. And, you know, we launched in March, but even now, like we're hearing just some really great things from, from, from women who, who join us. And I'm just like, and 
honestly, in one of the first workshops, I, I was like, I was, I felt tears in my eyes. I was like, <laughs> we've been, like talking about this, like we've been going over like slide decks and like the curriculum, but like hearing like Doris lead it. And, and, and seeing like the other um, experiences of other women and hearing what they had to say, I was like, this is this is what I've been looking for. Right. So that's you a very created long- the thing you needed. Exactly. Exactly. That's a very long way to get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just I, I get so many feels when, when I talk about it because it's like my little baby. Like right. it gave me life. So, <laughs> yeah. And that I mean, honestly, that's the same thing with the with the podcast, too. It's like I I'm searching for this kind of stuff, right? I want to find these places in which I can be a mixed-ass person, hear other mixed-ass people, you know, in all kinds of environments, professional, goofy, you know, comedy, like even just finding a, a comedian going up on stage who randomly says, oh, I'm mixed race. And I'm like, yes, you know, like <laughs> anything like that, needing to see anything like that and not finding it. And then finally deciding, well, OK, I'm just going to make my own podcast. And then from it, I get to be a fan mm-hmm. of the people that I get to talk to. And someone will say something, you know, like what you're saying today. It, it, it sounds like, yes, that's exactly why wasn't their organizations already put in, in place for for women of color to to get this sort of corporate training and professional development and improvement and and in a safe space because the common theme amongst most of us that are on this show that have talked have said something about being in a white space you suddenly realize how much not part of the team you are you know and like you say you're doing the work to correct you know white woman's mistakes and that white woman gets promoted ahead ahead of you and people of color and like white people have benefited off the backs of people of color for a really long time and those of us who are mixed with white have this extra kind of pain related mm-hmm. to I am both a person of color and at the same time a product of one of these uh, ethnicities that benefit from mm-hmm. people of color. So there's a lot of conflict in our blood and in our, our feelings about who we are. The the idea behind this, I mean, two things. I love that it was born out of of commiseration. <laughs> like like you just got yeah. together on this like to, uh, to drink and be like, you know what? I deal with this. Hey, I deal with this. The other part that I like about what you've said that just kind of screams out while not being directly stated is, you know, women are constantly pitted against each other. And in this case, women accidentally joined forces just through talking about what happened to them. And in that, they started to support each other. And from that, you develop this organization. I mean, that's amazing. Like, if we can change our minds about how we approach other women in business, like, I'm not in competition with you. I'm in competition with everybody in this office. But if we all pull together, we benefit, then we rise up together. You know, I think that is, it's certainly something that I hope to happen through Militantly Mixed, but through the Melanin Collective, I mean, who knows what kinds of things you could be doing with with these events. Yeah. And so you um, primarily working out of the D.C. area, but um, I did notice from the website that you have events in other cities and things like that. What uh, I guess what's the ultimate goal? Is it to to hit sort of those major areas or? I mean, so we are in Cal. Well, so Doris is in California a lot because of um, her family is is based here and a lot of her uh, community is is is. is is based there as well. Um, I know that like from a very practical standpoint, one of our goals is to become sort of more um, sustainable. Um, So we're self-funded right now. A lot of like the, all of the work that we do is kind of, you know, funded through our own like wallets and our own brains and minds. So I think, you know, there's that saying like, you know, businesses won't be like profitable in the first couple of years. And I think we'd love to like get over that hump, but really, you know, that being the practical goal, I think the more, I guess, passionate goal that we feel inside of our hearts is to really just expand these workshops, expand our missions to like every nook and cranny that we can, because, you know, I've realized and we both realized that, you know, from our own experiences, this is a huge need. And from the experiences that we've heard from people who have joined us, like this is something that they needed as well. So whether we're doing like workshops or, you know, I guess strategically and intentionally partnering with, with other organizations, you know, we're just trying to like really spread our word and, and, and spread our message and kind of what, what we're trying to do. And I think also that intentionality is a really important part too, because we really try to like walk our talk, I guess. So, you know, we hire just women of color, we pay them, you know, we're not here to just like exploit you and, you know, send you on your way. Like we really want to be intentional Mm -hmm. about like the work that we're doing. And which is another thing that I love. It's just like, you know, we are actively like practicing 
what, what we preach, I guess. Right. Um, so what informs some of the subjects of the workshop? I know you talked about working on the curriculum. Did that come more from things that you initially needed yourself? And then from mm-hmm. there, you get more more ideas through the groups like yeah. So we have kind of, a, I think, three like wheelhouse workshops. So one of them is about self-oppression. And I think that I think, well, I think all of the workshops are, are, are very personal for us. So we have one on self-oppression and working through the lies that you internalize mm. from people. So right. One of the, one of the lies that I internalized about myself was that I was a terrible worker and, you know, through really interrogating like your self-talk and realizing that like, you know, these are things that people are like placing onto you to keep you back. You know, that's kind of like when you can let the chains go, so to speak. So that one's a pretty like personal one for me. The other one that we um, put on is interracial community building. So right, like like what you were talking about, a lot of women, but particularly women of color are, you know, pitted against each other. And one of the things that, you know, I've heard is like, why are we fighting to be in last place, right? Like, right. Un- like understanding that there are nuances, of course, for every experience, you know, we are so much stronger you know, working together. And I think, you know, kind of how the Melman Collective came about is kind of a a testament to that. And then finally, um, the last one is how to build a better relationship with yourself. So, you know, taking like self-care, it's it's not just buying like a salad on a Friday to make yourself feel better. Like (laughs) that deep rooted stuff that will like really help you like find peace in your own life and like help you prioritize yourself because women of color, we're so used to putting ourselves last and caring for other people like really strongly and, and and deeply, but we don't do the same for ourselves. So that, so they're all very personal and they're all very, I mean, like I love attending them. I just love like listening. (laughs) So like part of my job is to be like snapping pictures and things like that. But I'm like, I just want to like listen right now. (laughs) I don't, I don't want to (laughs) work. I completely understand that. There's moments like that too, that I have when I, you know, when I'm talking to someone and like, you can hear their voice light up or something like that. And while they're Uh talking and that kind of gives you life as well. But even why just because we are doing video chat right now instead of an audio chat, like to see you in those moments light up while you're talking through it. You're just like, you know, you know, you just get squishy. (laughs) The the blob gets all squishy. I know. I think I think I I know where to go. (laughs) It's almost like that where you feel like you're doing something right, like that you're on the right path Um, in the way of when I get an email like the one that I got from you. You're like, see, this is why like every email I read. It starts with or ends with me going, see, this is why I'm fucking doing it. Like mm-hmm. this moment is the reason is the reason why it keeps going. And and you get to be a fan of what you're doing. And that's what's awesome. Do you do you have any others that are coming up that you want to want to share or pitch? So right now we don't have any other um, kind of in-person workshop coming down the line. But we do have a Twitter chat that we are kind of putting together right now. So um, with the midterm elections coming up, we decided to do a Twitter chat. um, Oh, nice. Kind of about how women of color build resistance through uh, politics. Um, So we've invited a a couple of people, um, professors, kind of activists in the community and trying to really like, you know, with like an hour's worth of time, really dig into like exploring how women of color, you know, have created kind of like lasting legacies for themselves, but then also like civic engagement movements, like how how have we made our mark? Um, So that's going to come up, I think, early November. So that'll be really exciting for people to tune in. Um, so yeah, I kind of like when we can't touch base in kind of a physical setting, we can kind of touch base with our supporters through the, the, the online world, I guess. Right. How did you build your, your initial base in terms of, you know, people finding out about you? Did you, was it tough or was it, did it seem like it was pretty obvious that, um, people needed this in your area at least? Well, I definitely want to credit our all of our family and friends. I think they were kind of the foundation for our support. You know, Doris put together this like Facebook group for all of her friends and kind of was, it was kind of like a 
brainstorming hub. Like what, what are the needs that you have? Like, oh, we're coming out with this thing. Like, uh, can you promote it? That, that sort of thing. So we really relied on the support of the people around us to really, um, prop us up. But so my background is in communication. So I kind of had some like sense of what to do. I definitely wanted to have like, you know, social media presence and an email list. But I think what, so while we have all of like the tactical things kind of lined up, I think what really resonates with people is just like the messaging, the kind of content that we um, send out to people. Like, you know, every month we do kind of a Monday motivation type deal around like a specific topic where we, we share some, some resources for people. We have a little like a uh, bonus feature, like here's something special for you. So we really try to like tailor it, tailor like the content to the experiences that women of color have. And I think, you know, people, I mean, I, I, I get emails sometimes and, and, and people are just like, Oh, like, thank you so much for this. Like, this is exactly what I needed to hear. Um, and I think kind of through that, like word of mouth, mm. you know, just staying true to who we are. I think that's really helped us. Right. Um, so one thing that I think is interesting that you guys do in terms of you were talking about being self-funded, which I definitely am feeling right now because I, <laughs> I'm self-funding most of my stuff too. I, I have a couple of sponsors, but you know, we're, we're still a ways away from being able to just live this life professionally forever. Um, but I like the way you seek sponsorship on your, on your, on your page through it's like, you know, help us fund our newsletter, help us fund our email account, like, um, or that you get to select what you're, what you're sponsoring and things like that. And I think that's, that's really a nice way for someone to feel like they know exactly where their impact would be yeah. affected. Um, I think that's a pretty brilliant idea. I, well, I'm definitely going to share everything on all of our different sources but uh, let's let's hit tell people how to find you um, in social media and your website and everything like that so that they can look it up as well yeah definitely so our website is themelaninclective.org and then you can also find us on Facebook at the Melanin Collective DC and then you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the MC squad underscore DC don't you love how you can't name something as like um, uh, militantly mixed luckily fix on Twitter and Instagram but militantly mixed the black AF edition from our other show didn't so I had to do MM black AF on the Uh, show uh, Um, so it wasn't consistent across all of our social media unfortunately but you know you you gotta do what you gotta do you gotta do what you gotta do before we start to wrap up because believe it or not we have uh, we have hit almost a whole hour is there um, any other kind of stuff that you I know right you're just like this is why these keep lasting longer because you're like, no, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> Is there any other kinds of things that you would want to talk about in terms of mixness and sharing with our sharing with our folks? Yeah, I don't really, I don't really think so. I mean, I guess just like coming away from this, I just like have to like fangirl because I love what you're doing, and I hope lots of people like listen and tune in, but then also contact you. Like she responds to email, like <laughs> you and tell you about their experiences because, like, you know, there's just so much diversity and variety in the experiences of multiracial people and I really think you know just like talking about it is so important Um, just it's like about finding your family but then again like making your blog like Making your blob into <laughs> making your blob. That's a new hashtag. <laughs> making your blob. <laughs> exactly. TM. Don't 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 steal it. <laughs> don't steal it. <laughs> Just make sure you're credited for every time we use it. Exactly. Um, yeah. No, it really is. Like for like for me, I'm I. Uh, it's funny. Somebody did ask me, and I I, I should have shared the actual message, but um, I didn't get permission to do it. So um, a person had sent me a message that said something like, "Why is it militantly mixed? But you're always you're always." sweet or something or you're always happy and I was like well first of all yeah, I don't think you understand what the word militant means in terms of like racial militancy let's, yeah. let's go back and discuss that and, but then second like I am fucking grateful like these people are pouring their in some cases very painful stories in some cases very happy stories but they're pouring their mixed experiences out for me and I'm a stranger and you know so the fact that like you and I managed to hit it off really well really quickly when we first talked which was awesome that tip Typically is the thing, but I have a few people I've talked to that it takes a kind of one or two, you know, um, you and I have a d- different experience. We, we clicked, we, we clicked right into it right away. And, and I think, you know, our, our, um, agendas are aligned in terms of, you know, empowering our mixedness, empowering other women of color, you know, 
things like that. We we have this kind of thing working, at least for for us to talk. But this, I'm just I'm just fucking grateful that people are willing to share their stories, and and more than that, that that people even find my show. You know, I, I know I'm hashtagging the hell out of it and stuff like that, but it's still a show about mixed race identity. So it, when a stranger finds me and I have no way of connecting with them, like they're not connected through six degrees of somebody, I'm like, ah. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It's like, how did you find me? Like, why? Uh-huh. Why did? What were you looking for? And and how was I able to provide it? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just good. I don't know. I'm super like I'm still very. I think the militancy comes out in sort of my vocalness about mixed race people and and my push to empower us to be as mixed as we want to be and and unapologetic about it. You know, I, I think I think part of that. Plus, I have a resistance type of mentality in terms of. Uh, you know, my political slant is more towards things aren't working right now, so we need to fix things. So carrying that over into this is like, yes, be loud, be your mixed ass self, be comfortable in your own skin. And it breaks my heart. Oh my gosh, it breaks my heart. Every time a person who has been kind enough to share their story with me says uh, something to the effect of, you know, you kind of made me feel like I had permission to be mixed or, you know, thank you for allowing me to be mixed. And, and I get what's being said there. I totally understand. It's like you provided a place that allowed me to break this open and I don't normally break this open. But the wording tells us so much about our society and our language that we're meant to bottle down what makes us who we are and just kind of toe the line and providing spaces like the Melanin Collective, like Militantly Mixed, like a lot of these other these other uh, people that I'm speaking to, like they're providing the spaces for people to just be themselves. And I don't know why we weren't already doing that. Like, I don't know why that isn't a part of our culture. I feel like being yourself is a very political action, you know, being able to like express who you are like that, that that's not something that I feel like coming into, you know, 26 years of age. I mean, I'm just starting <laughs> to understand that, you know, being yourself isn't just kind of like a la di da thing. Like it's a very political act. Like you are saying, you know, screw how you think I'm supposed to be. This is how I am. This is what I'm going to like give to the world. So yeah, I mean, like that, that that's, I mean, I feel like I'm also in, in, in some sorts of stages where I'm like, eh, like, who am I allowed to be? So I totally like resonate with that, like sadness that like people, you know, mm-hmm. have to ask for like permission to be who they are. But then also understanding that that is not just like a neutral thing, like you are taking a risk doing that. Right. So, you know, I guess hats off to you, I suppose. No, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely risk involved. But I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I at your age, I would not have thought like in, when I was 26, I would not have thought it was very political or radical to to be my mixed ass self or or to 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 be outspoken about who I was in any way, shape or form. It just I guess the climate at that time wasn't like that. Um, but now, uh, you know, you look back and you're like, well, why wasn't I shouting on the rooftop this whole time? It's not like I couldn't see this stuff was there, but our culture t- dictated how we were allowed to view it. And now our culture is kind of jumbly and crazy. And so you're you're getting windows into oh wait no this is messed up I get to I need to speak up about this in a way now that didn't exist when I was you know at that that age at that time so yeah I mean I think my last my last thanks I know you have to go soon I'm very sad no we can uh, keep going if you want to keep going we can keep going oh no you have an event so I am like I like oh do I I do don't I eh I mean I I don't care All right. I'll give you a last sound bite. How's that? <laughs> um, but I was just it, what what you were saying about um, what we were talking about, you know, being yourself as being a political act. I think that's also for like mixed people. I think that also speaks to the fact that I, I think apprehension or discomfort around multiracial people. I mean, that just didn't crop up from like nowhere. Like that's something right. that's like, part of American history. And I think that like recognizing that that discomfort is part of our history is, is also really important for people to, to understand. Cause again, it puts into context, like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just the societal discomfort at 
you know, mixed races. Um, so I don't know. That's just something that I've also kind of like put into my mixed race backpack to kind of like remind myself of whenever I get like uncomfortable at things or like, am I allowed to be in this spot or like just like flat, you know? Right. <laughs> you know, because if you think about it, like in particular white men, but I think white people in general, and I'm talking about in general, I'm not saying everybody, but they get to walk around feeling comfortable taking up space all the time. It never occurs to them not to be comfortable taking up space. So we have to adopt that mentality. You know, if uh, like I was talking to somebody the other day about um, or actually like a couple months ago, but I've just reheard the recording. So it sounds like the other day about a person just like touching my body to physically move me out of the way so they could grab a Snickers bar at a grocery store. And and I was thinking like I would never reach out and touch somebody to scooch them out of the way who wasn't in my house. And I'm not like, you know, play wrestling, you know, whatever like that. I would never do that in public space. So what is it about that person that gave them that entitlement and that privilege to just be like, I'm going to put my white hands on you and move you out of my way. I don't want to go that far. I don't want to say, yeah, let's just start touching people's bodies and move them out the way. I want to I want to say, like, we need to have that same level of confidence and taking up space, be unapologetic about where we are, be unapologetic about advancing in our careers when we advance. You know, don't look at it as as, you know, thank you for allowing me to be here. Look at it as you're welcome that you get to be in the presence of somebody who's different. <laughs> different from you you know mm-hmm. i think if we if we start to have that kind of confidence and and adopt that mentality um things will change because that's a common theme and and i hate hearing it at the same time that I have also been in those same places where I'm just like, oh, you know, I mean, I've done it recently. I've done it recently. And as vocal as I am, when I am confronted with moments that shut me down like that, I get so angry after, you know, angry at myself, angry at the system, all that stuff. I think there's something there to dig into further. I do have that event and I've been kind of hedging all day because my the introvert side of my ambervertness is kicking in really hard. And I know it'll be beneficial to go, but I just like, ugh. Plus, it's across town. Uh, I understand. And L.A. traffic. So, like, my mentality right now is, yes, I know it would be beneficial. But right now, I'm already doing something I'm enjoying. <laughs> and you have to take care of yourself. And I don't have to live, leave my house and I have to take care of myself. Um, um, yeah, mental health is certainly something that is important to uh, to deal with. And, I mean, we talk about it here and there on the show. But, but man, it's a, it's, a, it's a killer, that anxiety of having to be yourself out in the world. But at the same time, I'm trying to promote a podcast and I should be out there more often. But yeah, I don't I, I already feel like I've talked myself out of going to this thing. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. No, you didn't. It was entirely me. Like I could tell even before we were about to, to speak, I was like, you know, I should probably get myself all the way ready so I can leave after. And then I was like, mm, nah. <laughs> It's the worst. I'm the worst about it. But yeah, uh, thank you for, well, first for your initial email, for being cool about my delay in getting to you because it was in my my junk file, like everything. Um, I've I've loved the connection that we've had in this brief amount of time. I do hope we talk Yay, you yes. know, way more. I ended, up be, I ended up being like a big fan of everybody I talked to because, you know, these, I wouldn't have met you, you know, some kind of way. And now I know this thing that you've done and it's amazing. And that's what it's like with most of the people I get to talk to like it's just yeah, we're all here doing something something so cool we're all doing amazing things right so um, <laughs> yeah yeah I love it I'm, I'm so grateful I am I am I am really th- grateful for for the people I've gotten a chance to talk to but yeah thank you so much for doing this I really appreciate it right. thank you talk to me. Bye. bye Militantly Mixed is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.